last um, semester, I guess you want to say, uh, we're studying on how to in- study and interpret scriptures. And um, just as a quick recap, we spent a lot of time just learning how to observe the truths of the Bible without interpreting it. And I think for it might have been some, fr- some frustration as you're doing those assignments where it was just observation, and I, it felt like, hold, hold, don't interpret yet, don't interpret yet. And now we are on that part where, okay, we're going to interpret. <laughs> um, so we, we started to study in the context, the historical context, the literary genres of scripture. And uh, last week, we started doing word studies, uh, what certain words in uh, the original languages mean and how they were translated into English. So as I stated last week, you don't need to know Hebrew or Greek necessarily to be able to do those studies. But you will become familiar with some words. And at the end, uh, hopefully at the end today, um, I will walk you through our, you know, a website that actually can help you do that for free. So you don't need to buy a Bible software to do that kind of study. So you have your phones, you can pull up your phones. That's the only time that I'm going to allow you to do that. Uh, but how about we start with a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, thank you so much for your loving kindness toward us and your abundant love that is lavished on us each and every day. Lord, your mercy is being renewed, your grace being given to us day in and day out, Lord. And even in this Christmas season, we want to be reminded of all your goodness um, bestowed upon us. And the greatest gift of all, which was the sending of the Lord Jesus to give salvation to those who are lost, a light into the world, I pray that you would bless our time together as we uh, study your word and how to apply it and understand it better. Um, May you guide our time in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. So uh, picking up from last week, we already went to that phase of, okay, how do I pick words to study Um, and so that I mean, we're not. If you're reading a whole chapter of the Bible, will you study every single word in the Greek or the Hebrew? No, it's way too much, right? So, what are some criteria, if you remember, for us to pick up those words? How do we choose some words, Aaron? Repeated words, Repeated words that kind of indicates to you that the author is trying to make a point here. So, it's a very important word. What else? Contrasting words, yes. Well, if you might understand one, but the other might not make a whole lot of sense. But if you have those two contrasting words, it kind of points you to uh, where you would be going. What else? Aaron? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the remember chiastic structure where something points to the middle. So the, you ha- the verses are being built, being built up, the verses at the end, the verses on the top, and then there is a central truth there in the middle. So example of that is Psalm 121, where um, I, I look up to the hills, where does my help come from? So the word help there, and then 
is a chiastic structure, he starts with help again. My help comes from the Lord. So that points that the word help is an important word here for us to study. All right, so then um, you look at the different uh, tr translations for that word, the different uses. Um, there is a variety of ways that a, a, a word can be translated, that a word can mean something that we have in English too, right? We're going to see today the word spring, for instance. It could refer to the season. It could refer to a metal um, coiled structure. Um, it could be a bunch of other things. So then we come finally to how do we make those decisions then? I have all these options. Then how we go then to, to choose a translation for that. And that's where our lesson starts today. So deciding what the word does mean in context. I do have notes there in the back. So if you don't have your notes there, so you can follow along. Um, it's on the table there in the back. So. so in the light of the context, the first thing you must do is to select from the possible meanings that one meaning uh, that best fit, fits your word in its context. So there was this, this truth that we have been seeing is that con context determines the meaning of a word. So context includes everything that surrounds your word and such as the paragraph containing the word, the subject matter, the author's argument or flow of thought, as well as external factors such as the historical situation of the author and the original audience. So if you see there, there is a circle, uh, all these concentric circles here expanding, is starting from the word that you were studying. So you want to see the immediate context, the verses around it. Um, and then you're going to say in the same book, does Paul use this word in Galatians, that he used in Galatians in other parts of Galatians? Then um, maybe he didn't, but he might have used that same word in a different letter. He could have used that word in Ephesians. So it's the same author, even though it's a, it's a different book. Then he, you're going to expand that a little bit more uh, to the other New Testament writers. Uh, thus, Peter talks about it in his letters. Um, and then in the same type of text, you know, you, if you're comparing, you want to be comparing letters with letters, not narrative with letters. Sometimes you might do that, but um, it, if you're getting closer and closer to the, that word, you are still expanding. And then you can compare the rest of the New Testament and even the whole Bible. All right, so um, just to note there, um, with those circles of context, you notice that um, the one on the top of same author and other book is a kind of a double line, and that is indicating that the, this is the closest to the original word. The closest to stay through this, these three uh, circles of context, the immediate context, the same book, the same author, the closer you'll be to the meaning of that word that you're trying to uh, interpret. So one of the most reliable ways to let the context guide your decision is through, through, uh, through a concept known as the circles of context. 
So generally speaking, the closer the circle is to the center, the greater influence it should normally have on your decision about the word's meaning. When trying to decide the meaning of a ta New Testament word, and this is exactly what I, I showed you there, your goal when using these circles of context is to start with the immediate context and work your way out until you find your answer. Rarely, you will have to move beyond the same author uh, circle to answer the question about the meaning of the word. That's why the double lines in the diagram are there to point to you that this is what you should give priority to. You should expect to spend most of your time working in a smaller circles of context. Remember that our purpose in doing word studies is to try to understand as precisely as possible what the author meant when he used a certain word in a specific context. We cannot stop our analysis when we know the possible meanings of the word. We must go on to choose the meaning that is the most likely to be um, for that passage. So as you struggle to decide, um, our, the author of our textbook has listed here a few questions that, you can, that can direct you um, as you're picking that meaning, right? You're, you're choosing, uh, you're trying to figure out to understand what the author meant by what he wrote. So the first question is, is there a contrast or a comparison that seems to define the word? So let's see, for instance, Ephesians 4.29. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4.29. So what does it say there? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that, so that it will give grace to those who hear. I want to draw your attention to the word there, unwholesome, unwholesome word. The author is clearly contrasting two types of speeches. One is speech that is used to build others up, and there's this other speech that is unwholesome. So what, what does that mean? Um, so the contrast in the immediate context helps us to understand what this unwholesome talk is all about. Um, it is contrasted with words that built up. So the author is trying to point to you that this is, there are some words that are destructive, the word sapros is the word uh, there for unwholesome. And it's a, a destructive kind of word, corrosive kind of word, as opposed to a, a building up word. You see that? It helps you to get to the meaning of it when you, when you see the contrast that the author is bringing. Another question that you can ask your text is, does the subject matter or topic of the passage dictate a word meaning? Uh, back to our study in uh, Genesis 39 that we were last week, right? Uh, Joseph's interaction with Potiphar's uh, wife. So Genesis chapter 39, let's go back to that text. And um, we were discussing what the word um, 
making sport of meant in that specific text. So Genesis 39, verse 14 and 15. So she called the, uh, the Pot- Potiphar's wife, verse 14, she called to the man of her household and said to them, See, he has brought into the, the Hebrews to us to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. Then uh, she says, when he heard that I raised my voice and I screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his masters came home. Then he spoke, she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. So we discussed that were, and if you still have your notes, you can look back to all the, the translations for that word, all the, what is the name, the, the expression that we use to define the variety of meanings of one specific word? The range of the, the semantic range, right? It is, it is the options that you have, and you're going to pick one meaning, because it can't mean several, multiple things at once. So you're going to look at the semantic range of that word and see what it means. So two possibilities that we saw, and there, there were more, is one is making sport means uh, mocking. He came to mock us. This is what he came for. And then the other one had a, a, a sexual overtone. He came to make investors in, in me, a sexual investor uh, in me. So the context does indicate that because she's accusing him of assaulting her. So particularly verse, um, I would say verse 17, um, it, is, it does mean that he came to assault me, um, to... to uh, because of the context that she's accusing him of assaulting. Um, then the verse 14, I, just, I feel like this is not as uh, clear um, because she's using the us. Did he came to assault all of them or just her? By, and by doing that, he was mocking them. He was offending them. Um, one could take, even in a, in a sexual overtone, not necessarily that he was um, trying to assault everyone in, uh, in the household, but that that action would offend everyone there, right? So even in the same chapter, you might have words meaning different things. That, that's my point with this. So... Um, then the other question is, does the author usage of the same word elsewhere in a similar context help you decide which meaning best fits the word? If you're studying the word world in the all-time favorite John 3.16 that most of us are familiar with, for God so loved the world. For instance, you would be interested to know how John uses this word elsewhere in his writings. To save your time, we can tell you that John is not referring to the created world. He's not talking about the whole creation, but he's specifically talking about people that are opposed to God and his purpose, and that God loved them even though they rebelled against him. 
So, um, then the other question is, does the author's argument in the book suggest a meaning? At times, the author's argument or train of thought will affect your decision about what the word means. Um, does the historical situation tilt the evidence in a certain direction? Occasionally, the historical context will strongly favor a particular option. To the Philippian Christians, Paul writes, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. So this is a really, really good example. The key verb translated conduct yourselves, uh, politiomai in Greek, probably carries a political, political overtones that Paul makes use of the connect with the Philippians. So the, cities, the citizens of the, the Philippi took great pride in their status as citizens of Rome. So the Christians in Philippi would likely have shared in this civic pride. Paul seems to be telling the believers that there that make, to make sure that they live like citizens of heaven in Philippi and not merely like citizens of a Roman colony. After all, the real Lord is not Caesar, but Jesus. Knowing the historical background can often help you to discern the word's meaning. So these questions will really help you as you're walking through it. But you need to decide which one fits best the context, right? Resist the temptation to select a word meaning only because it is more exciting than the other options and because it will preach better than the rest. What good is captivating word, meaning if it is not true to the text of Scripture? Right? Uh, just because if it's your preference. All right, I, um, I have um, a video that I, I can play for you, and I'll help the soundboard guys there to come and, and play that for you, okay? Cool. Uh, thoughts, questions, things you've observed? Have you done these things in your own personal studies where you've gotten out a lexicon or uh, used some software, look up words, get a better understanding of what that actually, what, what it actually meant, how it was used? Anybody? Is this a good thing? Oh, yes. Yeah, there's no time to be able to do that on a Sunday morning. Yeah, uh, just so you know, there are tools out there. And so, yeah, great point uh, there, Kathy. Go home. Do this. Try this. Sit down. Take the time. And don't do it on your phone. <laughs> you, it's just not a big enough screen. I think Bob and I have talked before in the past. You know, it's, it's an okay communication device, but it's really hard to study uh, and really get in depth. Get on your, your desktop and a big monitor. Be able to read and see the words that you're going through and... Uh, if the Lord, Lord has blessed you with a couple of screens, it's kind of nice at work. I got a couple of screens up. You, know, you work and look at two different things at the same time. Uh, that's very helpful uh, when you're looking at uh, linear, you know, parallel passages or looking at the software to bring up the meaning or understanding of a word. Looking at the passage or maybe your Bible, even on your desk. Just have all the tools out. Uh, get rid of all your distractions. And uh, try and stay focused as you work through. But doing this word study does help. It does bring to light uh, more of uh, 
it helps shed light on the passage. I remember a few weeks ago when I went through 1 Timothy and was looking at the character and the description of the Apostle Paul and the word used there to describe who he was uh, and how that word was used in the original Greek, you know, 2,000 years ago in, in Paul's time, was really describing a very despicable man. I don't know if you remember as we studied through that passage and just how that really sheds light on his proper understanding of his sinfulness and where he stood before the Lord. It really helped to bring the whole passage to light to see the grace of Christ come in and change the Apostle Paul and make him into a new man. And so these, these things are important. Um, uh, lexicons, word studies. One of the tools I use is uh, <clears throat> put together by Rogers and Rogers. It's like Rogers the second, Rogers the third. Uh, Father-son duo that put... Uh, uh, a lexicon together for the Greek New Testament. And so when you're studying uh, the New Testament, you can look up. Uh, some of the key words are already pulled out for you. Uh, you don't have to look up every word in the original Greek and go, okay, well, which one am I looking for? They, they've kind of picked out the key words, and you can kind of tell, okay, which one they're talking about, how it was translated into English in your Bibles. And again, it gives a little bit more information to bring light to how that word was used or what that word means. Uh, sometimes translating into English or different English translations and synonyms used, some words have, carry a little more meaning than others. And so it's good to uh, have these resources available to you and to make use of them as you study. Jake. Yes. Jake just brings up the passage towards the end of the Gospels where Christ is having the broiled fish uh, brunch breakfast with the disciples on the seashore. And he says... Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? He asks love, use the words love three times, but there's two different love there. Do you phileo? Do you phileo? Do you agape? Those are two very different words used for love. You know, do you love me as a brother? Do you love me as a brother? Do you love me unconditionally willing to lay your life down for me? Now, that's a bigger deal. Do you love me, Peter? So, Studying these words, and again, what we have in our English text, uh, it's good to go back uh, to the original Greek. Jenny. Okay. Okay, Jenny's just making uh, you aware of a book uh, called a key Bible, key study Bible, keyword study Bible that's in our library that does similar to what I was talking about, having a Greek lexicon, but it's in the back of the Bible and having the, the, the text up front. So you can, some of the key words that are in a verse, it's underlined, you can, oh, okay, that's it. Then you can flip in the back, and it's all together in one book. Uh, so again, a good tool to, uh, to use that's available for you. I can't emphasize enough, uh, just as a preacher, studying God's Word, whether we're teaching youth group or small group or, or Sunday mornings or Sunday school, uh, the one who studies gets so much more out of it than the one who listens. A, we fail to communicate. It's, it's hard to communicate uh, effectively and well. It's hard to listen to what is being said, to follow along, to put aside distractions. And so <clears throat> there is much that we can gain by gathering together. And we are commanded to gather together on Sundays to hear God's word, to get together throughout the week, to fellowship with the saints, to uh, have Bible studies, to study God's word. But there is no substitute for you getting out your Bible 
and making use of these tools. You, as my brother told me over Thanksgiving, why are you asking me? You have the world at your fingertips. Google it. There are tools uh, on the internet that you can use, different books you can buy. Uh, you have the world at your fingertips. Um, when you sit down and you study and you commit your time to thinking and mulling over and chewing on these words, you gain so much more out of it than what you can just by listening, whether you're listening to a sermon on your, on your phone, whether you're driving or uh, audio recordings, whatever it might be. You get so much more out of it when you study yourself. You are shortchanging opportunities for sanctification and growth in the knowledge of Christ, even as we're studying in the book of Colossians, right? Pray that you would grow in a true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're shortchanging that opportunity if you are not studying God's Word. So do, please, uh, take the encouragement that Ronaldo and Dylan and I are trying to give you here in this first hour to know how to study your Bible and then do it. Uh, it, it you gain and learn so much more uh, than merely just even reading through it in your daily reading. Uh, study it. Know it. Uh, get the background. And uh, pray for the Holy Spirit to open your heart to understand. Dylan. Yeah, great point. This is not just our history book studying World War II and writing a report, right? Or answering questions on a test so that you can have some knowledge about some historical event. Even as we come to Samuel this morning, 1 Samuel 28, there's a lesson here to be learned. Are we humble enough coming to God's word? Okay, what can I learn? Where do I fall short? Understanding what it means is, is good, but how does it then apply? And that's where, again, Ronaldo keeps cautioning us. We do have to be open and humble to receive it and be taught, to be convicted of the sin that yet remains in our own hearts. Uh, but let us not fall into the trap of the Corinthians. We just get puffed up with head knowledge. Let's make sure it gets translated down a few inches to our hearts and we might live it out in our day-to-day -day living. All right, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. Lord, what a blessing is ours to be able to rely upon it that it has been preserved down through the centuries uh, as you spoke through men in ancient times to write letters to other churches or to record history and Old Testament narratives or to document a prophecy uh, regarding events in the nation Israel or even in the church, early church. Lord, what a, Lord, what a blessing it is for us to have it in written form, to trust that you have preserved it down through the ages, Lord, that we can go to it as in writing, unchanging, go back to it each day, each week, each hour, to receive comfort, to grow in our understanding of Christ, to be humbled, to be convicted of sin, and to live lives that are pleasing to you. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to bless even as we commit ourselves to learning how to study your word. May we value it all the more, and may even as uh, the book of James reminds us, Lord, help us to be found as doers and not merely hearers of your word. Help us to be obedient servants of yours even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.